Yes, indeed. Let's meet our guest right off the top. A someone I've known for years, so proud for his success. Brandon Gonez, host of the Brandon Gonez Show on YouTube and longtime Toronto journalist. Welcome to the show, my friend. Ben, so great to be with you this morning, my friend. All right, well, we're going to get into it just after after we introduce all our other guests, including Kevin Vong, independent MP for Spadina Fort York. And I got to say, one of the most clear-headed and vital voices on Twitter these days. Uh, Kevin, thank you for being here. Amazing to, to be on, and thank you so much for, for saying that. And last but not least, Jamie Ellerton, strategist and founding partner of Canaptis. Welcome back to the show, Jamie. Good morning, Ben. All right, let's start with Pierre Polyev. He's been all over the news. He, he made news for a couple of reasons yesterday. Let's start with the Senate bill that he's backing. He wants Canadians to verify their age if they're going to be watching porn online. Now, when I first heard this, Jamie, I thought, uh-oh, here they go wading into the culture wars. They don't need to be doing this. They don't need to be uh, scaring away potential voters who, who are holding their nose because they're voting for them in in protest right now. But it turns out that's not what this is. Yeah, I think when you look at the headlines of it, it kind of seems a bit ridiculous. Uh, but when, uh, when you look at what you know, ultimately it's trying to do, I think anyone who's visited any kind of adult website knows right now you check a box clicking uh, that you're over the age of 18 or whatever the legal age is in your jurisdiction, and then you get into the adult portion of the site. So this bill seems to be designed to put more actual safeguards in place to prevent minors from getting it. Uh, but if anyone thinks our government has the actual capacity to do this, uh, I'd love to meet them. Because I think when you look at what the government's history with procurement, like the Harper <laughs> government brought in the Phoenix pay system, like they couldn't build software to pay bureaucrats. Uh, look at the ArriveCan scandal uh, and what's gone on there. Our governments are frankly incompetent when it comes to managing large IT infrastructure projects. And this idea you're now going to have to upload a driver's license to take a selfie so that a bureaucrat a bureaucrat-made system is going to confirm your age, is going to work and keep kids from accessing porn online. I just don't think it's realistic. But Kevin, I've got to say, the more I thought about this this morning, the more I think that he has a, this is a winning strategy for Pierre because their parents spend most of their days just hoping to God that the kid that they are building is, is, is going to turn out okay. And there are so many, uh, there are so many variables that are not under their control and what happens when your kid is not in, um, is not at home, or when they're on their phone, or when they are at a friend's house on the computer? What is going on? So if 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 he can back some legislation that gives a little bit of relief to parents, they are going to be happy with this. You know, you bring up a good point, Ben. I'm not lucky enough to have kids yet, but I, I wonder about. You know, when I am, how I'm going to be able to protect them. And I think we absolutely should take steps to protect children from online content. But as I take a step back, I'm with Jamie on this, right? I wonder about the logistics of, of how this would even work and specifically the risk of identity theft. Seemingly every reputable company, including banks, have had privacy breaches. And I have no confidence that a porn site would have <laughs> better protection than, say, a bank to protect your government ID and you know your your user activity right and 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 i think the consequences would be devastating plus you know the final thing i'll say is this could easily be circumvented with with a vpn by masking where people are accessing it from so you know how would the logistics even work well let's uh, let's ask brandon because brandon uh, the 
the, the earliest adopters of, of cutting-edge technology are the porn companies. They always have been, and they will forever, and they, and they set the trends. So they heard about this piece of legislation, and they said, look, this should not be, we should not be hosting this, uh, this, this level of um, uh, you know, all, the, all this IDing stuff. That should be done locally on a person's phone or on their device, keeping, keeping uh, their information away from us. What do you think of that? Well, I, well, I think it is a big concern, Ben, because, I mean, you, you do have to wonder, again, what, if you're uploading your personal documents for age verification, which I think definitely there is a large group of Canadians who are probably in support of this and who see um, a need for this. But I think there's also a large group of Canadians who are wondering, well, if you have my data, what? how do I know you have the proper security systems in place to protect that data? Sure. All the more reason, though, all the more reason for this to all happen on your phone, if 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 that floats your boat. But you know, if if it's if uh, we already have the facial recognition on our phones, it recognizes our faces. If we were to hold up a piece of ID, and then boom, it's on it's on your Apple keychain, right? So when you then go to a website, you just press a button and and you you gain access. You don't even have to show your ID anymore. 100%. I think, though, for a lot of people, for many people, I should say, there is just this concern. It's just all about privacy. Even if it's connected through your phone, whether it's connected through email, you know, Apple chain, password, you name it. I think for a lot of people who do consume um, this type of content, they want to do it in a way of privacy. They want to do it in a way of not it probably getting back to them for the most part. And I think when we're waiting into this kind of area of uh, verification, uploading documents, personal documents, it kind of um, puts you into this gray territory where people kind of get a little bit nervous here. Hey, Kevin, let's stick with Pierre Polyev. Uh, he made an announcement on transgender women and where they fall uh, as it relates to bathrooms, changing rooms and sports. Here's what he had to say. Female spaces should be exclusively for females, uh, not for biological males. Um, the you ask if I introduce legislation on that. A lot of the spaces you described are provincially and municipally controlled. So it is unclear what federal legislation would, ha would reach federal legislation would have to change them. But obviously, uh, female sports, female change rooms, female bathrooms should be for females, not for biological males. Kevin, I, I, I think I think he's got another winner on his hands here. This uh, he's that's completely in line with what the majority of Canadians believe. If if you believe the polls, um, so is is this is he going to beat this drum increasingly? Well, listen, Ben. I know media have been hounding the Conservative leader on these issues because let's be honest, it's more salacious. It drives clicks. But the fact is. And I agree with Pierre on this. This is first and foremost a provincial, and at the most, municipal do domain. And honestly, I'd rather be focusing my time on what falls into scope of the federal government. The failure of the federal safe supply strategy that's wreaking havoc on our local community. Housing. You know, it takes a quarter of a freaking century now for the average Torontonian to save enough for a down payment, Ben. And food is so expensive that a block of cheese is 12 bucks, and it's smaller than it used to be. Those are the things that I'd rather be focusing on, Ben. Uh, Jamie, I, I made the observation that there's a certain type of person from a certain um, age group that has been watching the 
the societal change that we have been uh, experiencing as it relates to trans rights. And the vast majority of those people are not bigots. They are not out there trying to actively harm trans people. But they, they're just asking, can we take a beat for a second? Can I ask you some questions? And so they're surveying this, this uh, increasingly untethered reality. And I think they're, they're, they're looking for somebody who can verbalize what they believe and put in place policies that reflect their respect of the trans community as well as respect of women in women's spaces. Yeah, but I think for me on this one, uh, I'm a gay man and a member of the LGBT community, I'll, I'll say for the benefit of your audience. It's like, whenever you hear Pierre Polyev talking about trans people, it's never actually about respect for trans people. It's about putting limitations on what trans people are able to do. The trans community is uh, probably the absolute smallest minority uh, that exists in this country, and they have uh, incredibly difficult lives as a result of the real discrimination that they face. And so to hear Pierre Polio continue to talk about these issues, uh, I would I would note and give him some benefit of the doubt. This is not something he's proactively talking about. These are things he's being asked about at news conferences uh, and giving his response accordingly. But this idea that the country's most vulnerable minority is somehow trying to do this constantly engaged in these sinister ploys, I would note the journalists from Rebel News, if we can call him a journalist, who asked the question yesterday, uh, is actually a man who's pretended to actually be a woman to get into the like, Scotiabank Arena, all for him to be able to generate contact links. And so the the good faith nature of kind of like, how do we actually put some safeguards in place to uh, alleviate concerns, legitimate concerns of women who are feel threatened by trans women in spaces because they have male genitalia, uh, while also accommodating a minority group that has faced discrimination for decades uh, and societal trends are catching up. And I think when you look at some of the things that are said, frankly, Ben, in conservative circles about trans people today, the same things were said about gays 20 years ago. And then millennials grew up and told boomers to get with the times. And we saw that social change. So I think this is an debate that's going to continue. Uh, politically speaking, I think there is some risk for Pierre that because every time he talks about trans people, it feels like he's putting more restrictions and talking about things they can't do. It's going to feel like he's punching down on a, minor, on a minority and he lacks empathy when he talks about it. And that's an issue that I think he's got to be very careful with. But Brandon, what do you make of the fact that poll after poll show real alignment between what Pierre said yesterday and their own personal views? Well, I mean, that's the thing. It, it, it is a complex issue because it, it stems from religious beliefs, personal beliefs. And I think what, you know, Pierre is doing, and I'll give him credit here that he answered the question um, directly. And I think for a lot of people, at least you now know where he stands on that particular question. Um, and I think it is going to, um, it, it is going to soothe some people who, again, have certain religious beliefs and, and, and personal beliefs who, who wanted to hear that answer. Here's, here's where I think a lot, the majority of Canadians, uh, you know, are, what they're looking for. So you, you've been asked that question. Okay, so this is what you, you don't believe should happen. So then how do you then fix the issue? Because there's still an issue about, you know, safe space for those in the, in, in the trans community to be able to access a, a basic service such as being able to use a bathroom and to feel safe doing so. And that part of the question wasn't asked 
uh, answered. And I think that's where the majority of Canadians are looking for, is, which is, what is the solution here? Yeah. What is the solution to this? And I think we can say, you can't do this, you can't do that, I don't want to see this happen, I don't want to see that happen. But people want to know, then, what do you want to see happen? How are we going to fix this? On top of that, I, I wish there was a reporter who followed up with a question asking about, you know, Minister Marcy Ian, who's in charge of this, you know, whose portfolio includes this community, has been doing a really good job, a great job, you know, supporting nonprofits, organizations across this country to help provide more safe spaces, programming, education uh, uh, for the, the trans community and the larger queer community as a whole. I would like to know if you do become prime minister, are you going to ensure that these organizations continue to see the funding that they that they've saw under the Trudeau government to ensure that the work that they're doing can continue to be done? Like these are the more substantive questions and answers that I think Canadians want to hear now because we're getting closer to this election and we need to know what will this country look like if Pierre does become prime minister. All right, let, let's move on uh, and let's let's take things local right to the Toronto District School Board. They had a document that has been part of the education system for a few years now. And I just want to read you a couple of things about it. Uh, schooling in North America. So education. Schooling in North America is inherently designed for the benefit of the dominant culture. And for those of you at home who are trying to figure out what the dominant culture is, it looks like me. Uh, um, education is a oh white middle upper middle upper class male Christian cisgender heterosexual able bodied neurotypical check 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 that's me. Uh, it's um, it's their interests and needs. It's their interests and needs that have been determined behaviors and values that are deemed to be the norm in education. It reads. Uh, that's after it says. Education is a colonial structure that centers whiteness and Eurocentricity, and therefore it must be actively decolonized. That white supremacy is a structural reality that impacts all students and must be discussed and dismantled in classrooms, schools, and communities. So before I get your take on this, I'll just uh, let everyone know that the Minister of Education sort of looked at this thing and went to the TDSB and said, you know what, this, this, uh, this position paper that you guys have, it's a little controversial. Maybe we should just put it in a drawer for now. And to their credit, they listened to the minister and they did exactly that. So I'd like, I'd love to start with you, Brandon. What do you think of this document? And whether we agree with it or not, Brandon, can we agree that that's a, that's a pretty political document? I don't know if I would call it political though, Ben, um, because I think, you know, we have to be careful about, you know, when we're talking about education, um, educa educating sometimes isn't about um, tiptoeing around the truth. Sometimes we have to talk about the truth. I mean, you, you can't say one plus one might equal two. No, one plus one equals two. And so if we do live in a, um, you know, a, a society uh, that, is intrinsically um, systemically um, racist and discriminatory, and 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 that's not no, it's not one person's fault. So people shouldn't be you know getting up in arms and and feeling attacked by that. But we have to call things what they are because if we don't call things what they are, you can't get to the root problem, uh, the root cause of the problem. But, uh, and and uh, Brandon, no problem. So far, you're saying a lot of stuff I agree with. But education is a colonial structure that centers whiteness and Eurocentricity. 
look, I remember school. There wasn't a whole lot of Eurocentric. I mean, there, there, there was European history, but like, uh, to but man, me, it does, it does center, it does, it, it does center that. Well, I that's, mean, but listen, that's, 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 that's our history. That's our, we, we, we were. It is our history, but I think, you know, what we all have to recognize though is history and what is put in the history books. We have to ask whose lens and whose perspective are we reading from? And Jamie, uh, Jamie, I want to bring you into this because uh, that, that uh, everything that uh, Brandon is saying makes sense. I just there's something inflammatory about this document. Yeah, I think when you look at it, I think what Brandon's saying also makes a lot of sense. But the document it does absolutely read like a political manifesto. And so, yes, I think our education system is going to constantly be evolving as societal norms evolve uh, and as Canada continues to grow. But the language used in this document, a code of conduct, uh, makes it sound like it's 100 percent enshrined, in fact, not open for debate. And if you don't abide by it, you're literally a, a falling outside the bounds of what the code of conduct or core, core, core beliefs in uh, the TDSB says. And I think that's where it's going to lose people. So I think, yes, when you look at the discrimination that continues to exist, systemic racism being a thing here in Ontario, uh, this is something we need to work towards. But I don't think the way that this is worded as a core principle belief set uh, that reads like a radical manifesto uh, with a lot of political undertones is going to win over a lot of friends. Uh, Kevin, it, it seems to me that what Brandon has brought up are all very real problems to deal with, but this document wasn't the way to go about it. I agree. How about schools just focus on teaching hard skills like math and science? And, and this is why I agree with parents complaining now that school boards are increasingly distracted by these non-academic issues and culture wars. Why don't we just take a step back? Like, I, I'll, I'll take a step back from the values-based judgments that often activists love to drag people into and instead focus on the fact that the Toronto District School Board, like every school board, is an organization with finite resources. So every dollar and staff hour that they spent on this manifesto was at the expense of something else. And personally, I'd rather they be investing their taxpayer-funded resources to teach our kids core foundational lifelong skills like math, science, and financial literacy. The worst part of it all for me is our youth are performing poorer now and ranking worse than 20 years ago when I was in public school. So before they try to take on new things, maybe actually do a good job of your core mandate to teach <laughs> our children things like math and science. Get the reading, writing, but, and arithmetic but, right. But hold on. Does that mean that we don't teach history? But the... Listen, there, there's a I mean, whole. It's so, it's so similar to say that, but so are you? Are you advocating for our school boards and the Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce, to remove history lessons from the education system? I, I don't think I said that once throughout anything that I said. What, what I'm saying is that the. No, you have. Uh, so in much. fairness, Kevin, you okay. did only list three subjects that should be taught, and history was not one of them. Yeah, you said hard skills. So I just I just want the clarity of like, what does the education system then look like? Like, what are you removing? I, I haven't suggested that that we remove anything so much as I think we need to focus on the current subjects, which would include history. That was the case when I was in school 20 years ago and do that better as opposed to starting to add in new elements. But before we're able to do the current things that they're supposed to do well. Well, the, that well, this is what the Toronto District School Board is trying to address, which is our history lessons 
are not adequate enough. They are lacking context. They are lacking perspective. Uh, Brandon, 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 you say when you say something like that, when you when you speak with the words that you use, that makes sense to me. That document, that document that is now in a drawer somewhere, that was inflammatory language that wasn't it wasn't wasn't helpful for the goals that you you're professing. One hundred percent. And I'm not saying that I agree with that document. I'm just saying that whether that if that document was inflammatory, do we then say that we're not going to continue trying to get to a better, truthful, more accurate education system? Like, I don't want this then to make people then say this is why we don't need to do this. Like, that's what I feel like I'm hearing from Kevin. And I want and I still want people to have that same passion of like, okay, maybe whoever constructed this document went a bit too far, but the work still needs to be done. And I think that's what I want to make sure that there's still that energy for. Yeah, I think I listen, I'm I'm uh, let's end that one right there, because that's a great that's a great point. Um, Let's talk now about. um, Well, the fact that I'm very privileged today to have three millennials. As my guests, <laughs> all three of you. And guys, this is a great day for your cohort because you are now make up more. You outnumber baby boomers for the first time. How do you feel? Great. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Um, listen, I'm, I say that because I truly feel and I truly know millennials are dealing with a lot of factors right now that boomers did not have to deal with not to the same extent and um you know there are power there is power in numbers and when you do have the influence of being the largest uh demographic now you can influence and you can vote uh, um and you can advocate for things that affect your demographic and for a lot of millennials kevin alluded to it earlier in our conversations are dealing with an affordability crisis, um, whether it comes to food, housing, you name it. Um, the situations and climbing up the ladder is not as easy as it was for our parents. And it's very hard for our parents in the, in the boomer demographic to truly understand that because they, don't, they, they didn't have to live it. And millennials have been beating this drum saying, oh, my goodness, we need people to listen to us. We need politicians to understand this. We need to figure out a way to level the playing field. And I think now the way that we can actually do that is by voting and actively trying to seek out politicians who understand these core factors and who are going to find solutions. Jamie Ellerton, you you guys have the numbers now. You control the board. What what are you going to do with it? Yeah, I think probably the biggest thing you're seeing is a 20-year collapse of NIMBY housing policies and recognition for most governments across the country that we actually need to build homes, especially given the fact that we have the second largest country in landmass in the entire world, yet we have a housing shortage. It's absolutely ridiculous. So I think you're, you're starting to see policies like that start to shift. Um, otherwise, I don't really know if this is going to be something that is overly celebratory. I think if you look at what's going on, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for millennials going forward. Uh, there was a story yesterday about how the province is struggling to hire teachers and industry after industry right now. I worked a lot with the construction industry. They're also going to have a lot of people retiring uh, in the next decade, and we need to be training people to get up to it. So uh, for millennials who uh, 
are looking for something to do, perhaps go to your local Iuna training center and enroll in the skilled trades in the construction industry. Uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunity as boomers continue to retire. Kevin, I wish I had time to give you the last word, but I'm up against the clock. I want to thank my guests, all three of my millennial guests for being here today. I hope we can do it again soon. <laughs> Thanks, Bob.